Today, you have to realize that Christianity is different than any other religion. And this day, this day that we are celebrating right now was another day in history that God showed the difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other ideology, and we're going to see that today. So you guys ready? So let's look. Daniel chapter 9 in verse 24. Daniel 9. We're going to look at Daniel's, real quick, Daniel's 70-week prophecy that he gave him. There was 70 weeks of years, 490 years of of prophetic years that God owes Israel. We're going to see that Daniel laid all this out. And this, and the reason why we just briefly mention this, you know, we've taught very thoroughly on this subject with end time teaching, but this shows that this day that we call Palm Sunday is an exact day in history. It's an exact day prophecy. You know, Jesus fulfilled in his birth, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, or we could say it this way, in his first coming, he fulfilled 333 prophecies to the T. There's like 365 parts to these prophecies. Everyone was fulfilled. They say that's a mathematical impossibility. But I'm here to tell you, there's what's called the second coming. And there's two parts to this second coming. The first part is the rapture of the church where God catches us away and we meet him in the clouds. And then we go into heaven for seven years. Right? And then the second part of the second coming is when after the seven-year tribulation period on this earth, the last week of years that God owes the Jewish people, then we come back with him and that's when his feet will touch on the Mount of Olives, and he will set up his kingdom on this earth, and we will reign with him. Initially, we will reign for a thousand years. But this day, this day that we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday, was a day in history when Jesus Christ, who is the central theme of human history, when he was presented to Jerusalem as the prince as the Messiah. And that kicked off everything. So let's look at this. 70 weeks, in the Hebrew language, it, it's 70 Shabuas. It means, it means a week of years. So 70 times 7 is 490 years. Now the Jewish calendar is not a 365-day calendar. It's a 360-day calendar. The Jews have a lunar calendar. So so we have to, if you want to know exact days, you have to know that. It says here, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. That's Israel, the Jews. And upon thy holy city, Jerusalem. I'm telling you, see, a lot of people are saying, well, Jesus couldn't be coming back because the church is still a mess, right? Right? But God never said, look at the church. He said, look at Jerusalem. Right? 
And man, just, just start looking at Jerusalem a little bit. What's going on there today is crazy, right? So let's look at this. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, archangel, is coming down to Daniel and saying to him, I want you to understand something that God has established for the Jewish people and for Jerusalem 490 prophetic years. See, one of those weeks of years is the tribulation period. That's another reason why the church will be taken out before the tribulation period. The tribulation period is not for the church. It is for the Jews. Okay? So let's keep going. The Jews now, um, they, they received this prophecy. Do you know the bulk of them in Israel at this time are atheists? It's going to be incredible to see after the rapture of the church even that these 144,000 Jewish evangelists get saved and they start evangelizing the whole world for three and a half years of the tribulation period. God loves the Jewish people and he wants them saved. To be honest with you, according to Romans, God loves every ethnic group, right? If anybody asks you about race, there is a scripture in the Bible in Romans chapter 12 where for God tells you his attitude about race. He says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The Greek being everyone who's not Jewish. But God is rich unto all of those that call upon him. Right? I mean, God loves all people and wants them blessed. So now this goes on in verse 25. It says, know therefore and understand so Daniel is to know and understand this that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the prince shall be 7 weeks and 3 score and 2 weeks okay the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So seven weeks plus, what does it say here? Three score, that's 60 weeks, and two weeks. So in other words, seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay? So what is seven and 62? 69. Man, you guys are sharp. So 69 weeks of years. Interesting. Now what's really cool is we know in history when this started. This clock started when Artaxerxes, right, the king of Persia, on March 14th, 445 BC, he commanded that Jerusalem be rebuilt. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah over, oversaw that. It's real interesting that God said through the angel Gabriel that from that time, from March 14th, 445 BC, until the day that Jesus would come into Jerusalem as the prince and be presented to Israel would be 69 weeks. Now notice there's 70 weeks of a prophecy, right? 
So if you look at the Daniel 70-week prophecy, there's seven years. Why seven years? Guess how long it took them, it took Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem after Artaxerxes told him to go build Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing? It took 49 years. Seven weeks of years. And then 62 more weeks of years, and what happens is Jesus, who would heal people and then say, hey, don't tell anybody, right? They wanted him to be king. They wanted him to overcome the Roman government. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not about that. But everything changed on Palm Sunday. I mean, as we read this story, the Pharisees are freaking out because the people start quoting a psalm that is about Messiah, about this day, and they go to Jesus and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You tell your disciples to stop worshiping you. And Jesus, instead of saying, well, yeah, you're right. No, no, he said, no, no, not this day. This is the day. If they shut up, the rocks will cry out. Right? So know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So if you take 69 times seven, right? That would be 483 years. Of 360 day years, you come up with about 173,000 880 days. Isn't that amazing that God is prophesying to the day? See, there's over 600 prophecies that Jesus is coming back. Why am I saying this? The word is true. When he said, I sent my word and healed you. It's true. Healing's for you. When it, when it says that Jesus himself bore your sickness and carried your pain, it's true. So you don't have to put up with it. When he said that he was made poor on the cross so that you through his poverty might be brought into being rich, that means a full and overflowing supply of finances, you are to have a full and overflowing supply of finances. You've been redeemed from the curse of poverty and lack. It's absolutely true. When the word of God says, you will not die, but you will live and you will declare the works of the Lord, that's true. Have you noticed lately, man, how many people are dying? Just strokes, heart attacks, Young people dying. And I'm telling you, talking to believers, believers start getting a little shaken. Right? Gosh, I don't want to lose anybody. Listen, we're at the end of the age, guys. Satan is an outlaw. He, he, he will kill you if you let him. Now, he can't kill you if you won't let him. Because he has no power. So I say we just don't let him. Is, is it that easy? Yes. Why is it that easy? Because Jesus came. Man, he came. 
He died. He rose again. And he ever lives. He's seated at the right hand of God right now. His blood is on the mercy seat, saying forever that you've been redeemed and that all things are new. Interesting. So if you look at this, it even says at the end of this verse, the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublous times. So under Nehemiah's leadership for 49 years, I mean, it, was, it talks about it in the word that they, like, they had a hammer in one hand and a sword in another, right? But they built it in 49 years, just the way the word said. Then it says this, and after three score and two weeks, so now we have the seven years, right, that they rebuilt Jerusalem. They have now 62 weeks of years. It says after that, Messiah shall be cut off. Now, interesting phrase, cut off in the Hebrew language. Because this word cut off means he will be killed for the purpose of making a covenant. He laid his life down, and because of that, his blood, we have a blood covenant with God. Right? He'll be cut off, but it says, but not for himself. In other words, Jesus came to die, right? He came to die. Why? To make a covenant, but not for himself. He made a covenant for you and I. And because of that covenant, you have a legal right that anything the enemy's ever stolen from you in your life has to come back. You have a right to be able to walk free from spiritual death and to be born again and saved, be given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what this day represents. It's a mathematical prophecy, if you want to call it that. From one event to the other is a specific period of time. And this event occurred about 1990 years ago, or 1991 years ago. Wow. And if the, two, if the church age is two days or 2,000 years on God's timetable, and this happened 1991 years, all I would say to that, guys, is Jesus is coming. So some people believe, and, and, and I'm not a historian, that Jesus, that he was crucified on Wednesday, April 3rd, A.D. 30, and then he was raised from the dead in the morning of April 7th, A.D. 30. According to the days, and I'm not a, I'm not a historian, I'm a pastor, so I, don't, I wouldn't even take the time, but everything I've read and studied in the time that, that the Lord has allotted me to it would put this day on about April 6th, A.D. 32. If you go from one day to another, that would be 69 weeks of 360 days. April of about A.D. 32. Okay? Christ's ministry began, the Bible tells us, it began in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's rule. Well, his earthly ministry started, so that would, it, his, Tiberius Caesar became Caesar in A.D. 14, or 14 A.D., right? 
Jesus' ministry started in the 15th year, so his ministry would have started in about A.D. 28. Okay? It would have began in about the fall of A.D. 28. What do I mean by that? That's when he was baptized by John the Baptist, and then he went into the wilderness. His ministry started when the Holy Spirit came upon him. He became a man anointed by God. I wonder if we need to, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? Well, I just don't believe in that baptism. Well, okay. Good luck with doing really anything because you got to have power. And you're in a position where you're saying, I just don't believe what the Bible says. Scary, scary thought, right? So this happened. John 1.29 says this. The next day, John sees Jesus coming to him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus then was, after he was baptized, he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days. He was tempted during the fall feast of tabernacles, which represented Israel's 40, year, or 40, uh, 40 years in the wilderness. He, that's when he was in the wilderness. He was tempted one day for every year. Why am I saying this? The Bible is exact. So when it says, if you ask anything according to my will, I hear you. And if you know that I hear you, you know that you have what you've asked me for. See, we've got to realize the word of God is true. We've got multitudes of Christians that are just living their life as if the Bible is not true. Right? Just going, yeah, you know, I just, it's just so hard. You're a liar. Because the Bible says serving God is a rest. The Bible says living for yourself is hard. So the only reason why you're saying it's hard is because you're deceived. Right? I mean, I, I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you as your pastor. So here we go. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles falls on the fall of AD 28 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. If you go three and a half years from that date, you would be at Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified in AD 32. Right? And this day, Palm Sunday, was the week before. Okay? So let's read about it. Matthew chapter 21. You guys, you guys doing okay? I was, this was going to be really light and I got a little heavy. But I think you guys could handle that, right? This is life-giving, guys. And you need to know this stuff. Because you're on this earth to make disciples. It says here in verse 1, Matthew 21, 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village, or in other words, go into Bethpage, opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them and immediately they will send them. So it makes sense, and many believe that Jesus was staying at Lazarus' home in Bethany, 
and so that they would stay there and then come into Jerusalem. There was a road that ran from Jericho to Jerusalem that he was coming down, okay? So now, verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, this, and he's, he's quoting, or quoting by the, uh, spoken by the prophet. We know that prophet's Zechariah. He's quoting Zechariah 9.9, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. How's he coming? He's coming lowly. This means he's coming humbly. This word means meek. This word means like ultimate power under perfect control. Okay? And he's coming sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you know how many kings in human history would come into a city on a donkey? Jesus was the first. See, they wanted, see, when a king would come in, his horse would be taller than anyone else. His chariot would be greater. There, you, would, you would definitely notice who the king was. But, but God is so good that 400 years before this event, Zechariah prophesied, guys, the king's going to come to you, but he's not going to come the way you expect. He's going to come humbly on a donkey. Now, I got to tell you, his second coming, it's good feeling gone for the world. Right? Because all of a sudden, at the end of the tribulation period, these two witnesses are going to be raised from the dead that had been killed, martyred, and the whole world is going to see them raptured out. It's not going to be in the twinkling of an eye. I bet it'll be nice and slow. Right? On Sports Center, they might even put it in slow motion. <laughs> Seeing, you know, Elijah going, ha ha. Right? You know? I mean, and they're going to, and, and then when the people of the earth are, who have been celebrating the death of these two people, they're looking up and they're like, oh my gosh, they're on their flat screen. You know, they'll probably have 19K by then. Who knows, right? <laughs> Virtual reality. Wow, we're talking virtual reality here. And then the whole sky is going to roll back, and there he's going to be again. You want to be on his side at that time, right? It says, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and they set him upon the donkey. So here's, uh, I want to read that prophecy from Zechariah. Again, 400 years before this event happened. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to thee. The God of heaven. What I want you to see about this day, if you don't remember anything, this is what Palm Sunday shows you. Christianity this whole thing about a relationship with God is not you trying to come to him. You trying to be good enough to be accepted by him. Christianity is different than any other religion, any other ideology. It is God coming to you. God came looking for you. Isn't that amazing? 
the whole, if you don't get that, you'll get in a works mentality. You'll start thinking, man, you know, I'm such a mess. I don't deserve some of this stuff. And the reality is that is not true anymore because Colossians says he made you worthy. Yeah, in yourself without him, you don't deserve any of it. Could never get it, could never be good enough. You gotta know that. This is so important. Your king comes to you. He's just, that means he's righteous. And having salvation... So he possesses something for you. He possesses wholeness, deliverance, victory, healing, help, prosperity, safety. This is how he's coming. Having salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey, upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Wow. Jesus, the king of kings, came in on a donkey. His feet was probably dragging. Not in all this splendor. Wow. This is saying to all of us, Jesus is coming, but not as, I, not as we expect. The Jewish people were hoping that the Messiah would come and wipe out the Romans and free them. Verse 8, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We know from Scripture this multitude of people was made up of pilgrims who had heard about the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It also included Pharisees who were always there to try to catch him in something and also disciples who were coming out to meet him. Verse 9, Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna. That word means save now. Right? Guess what? We don't, we don't say Hosanna save now because we are saved. He's already done it. But I love the word Hosanna because of what it represents, right? To us as New Testament believers, he's done the work. Wow, everything is done so that you can be healed, so that your finances can change. The blessing of Abraham is upon you to make you rise to the top. Why? Because you can't give what you don't have, right? So let's look at this. Hosanna, save now, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were singing Psalm 118, verses 24 through 26. This is why the Pharisees were freaking out. Right? Because Psalm 118, verse 24 through 26, is proclaiming the Messiah. They were proclaiming, Jesus, you are Messiah the King. Isn't it amazing that in seven days he went from you are Messiah the King to release Barabbas and crucify this guy? Wow. Right? Hosanna in the highest. 
So they were publicly acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. So this road, if you're there, it descends down from the Mount of Olives. And it, when, when it comes around the corner, Jesus sees the eastern corner of the city of Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem then comes into view. So let me, let me just read Psalm 118. Verse 25 and 26, let me just read these two. It says, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Isn't that interesting? Save now, send now prosperity. It's never separate, it's always together, right? Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, we have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So let's look at Luke's account real quick. Hold your finger in Matthew, but you can go to Luke chapter 19, verse 37. We're going to look at verses 37 through 40, just to get the whole picture of this. It says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So they're singing this psalm. They're proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude, this is verse 39, said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because this is the day. The king, the prince of heaven, the Messiah is presented to Jerusalem. And they were warned about this. They, see, this is why Jesus wept over the city. Because man, even though it was prophesied, they did not see the day of their visitation. Don't miss the day of your visitation, right? When is that? It's April 2nd. Guess what day, the day of your visitation is tomorrow? April 3rd. See, as Christians, don't get caught up in the circumstances of life. You keep your eye on him because he is in your life. We're to live in his presence Fixing our eyes on him. If we don't fix our eyes on him, Hebrews tells us we'll grow weary and faint in our minds. Right? So now, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees again said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, and he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. God will have his way. Verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, at least in this day, the things which belong to your peace, but now they're hid from your eyes. Why are they hid? We know from scripture because they chose not to believe it. It was their choice. For the day shall come upon thee. Look at this. Jesus is prophesying. 
that your enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round, keep thee on every side, and shall they lay thee even with the ground and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because you didn't know the time of your visitation. In other words, you're going to be utterly destroyed. This happened in A.D. 70 under the Roman leader Titus. John chapter 12, I'm going to read this scripture. John chapter 12, verse 16 through 19 says this. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, when he was raised from the dead, they then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead bore record. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, do you perceive how you prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Wow. So let's jump back and let's keep reading this story in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, let's look at verse 10. It goes on to say this, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. They would buy, they they would set up little businesses where they would sell sacrificial doves and things. And, And so Jesus literally went in there and cleared it out. I don't think he was a man you wanted to mess with. Josephus, the Jewish secular historian, said, I stood before the man they called Jesus of Nazareth, and I feared him more than any army. Yet that same Jesus had kids hanging off his legs when he's preaching. Interesting, isn't it? Wow. So he was moved. He was moved. Verse 10 again. When he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Notice what the multitude said. This is is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Gosh, just a few minutes ago, they were saying he was the Messiah. Now it's already kind of worn down a little bit. Now he's just a prophet from Nazareth. Do you notice that? Do you know how quickly has, has that ever happened to you? You are on fire. I am like, I am like faith man. Three minutes later, you're complaining about your circumstances, right? Maybe that's never happened to you, but wow, right? We'll just keep reading. So he drives out all the money changers. Verse 13, he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7. Jesus always quoted the word. But you have made it a den of thieves. Now this is really cool. Then, after this, now think about this. This is is exactly how it works. You have Jesus. I mean, could you imagine? He's kicking over tables. 
He is throwing things around. Nobody's messing with them. Right after this massive commotion, what happens? Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Do you know Jesus healed the blind and the lame in Jerusalem only? That's interesting. Why? I have no idea. There is a reason. I just don't know it yet. I asked the Lord about that. I bet I'll know it someday. Because he's, he's a revealer. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, see, the kids still get it. They were crying out, Hosanna, on the street. They're, he's wrecking people's businesses. They're still crying out. You know kids. Have you ever noticed that about a child? He could say the same thing over and over and over Asher, Micah, can you please stop? Right? No, they're still doing it. They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. In other words, the adults thought it, they, they had dumbed it down. I'm a pro, he's a prophet from Nazareth. The kids still get it. No, 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 no. He's the Messiah. Right? And this is from Psalm 118, which was recited at the Feast of Tabernacles, and guess what they would do when they would recite this, this, this psalm? They would wave palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, right? They're singing Psalm 118, all this stuff, and the religious leaders, they were indignant, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants have you perfected praise. So again, they're publicly acknowledging him. So this is how radical our faith is. This is a radical day. This is not a story of Jerusalem coming to their Messiah. This is a story about the Messiah coming to them in the same way God came looking for you. He saw you dead in your trespasses and sins, and he says, I can't, I can't live with that. So I've got to send my son as the perfect sacrifice to, be, to bear all the sin of the world in his body on that cross so that his blood can be shed to eradicate sin so now people can know me and that they could have everything that I am. That's what God, that's Christianity. God coming to his people. Our faith is in the one that reaches out to us. And we would dare think that sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no. And God heals some and not others. And you just never know. Because his ways, they're higher than our ways. Well, are, are people quoting scripture? His ways are higher. But keep reading. The Holy Spirit reveals his ways. Does God say yes and God say no sometime? No. 
it says in the Bible, all the promises of God are in Christ, yes, and in Christ, amen, which means so be it unto you. God doesn't save some and not others. He doesn't heal some and not others. He doesn't bless some and not others. He, there's no variableness in him. And the Bible says in the book of James, every good and every perfect gift, it comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness. If he's willing to do something for one, he'll do it for anyone. This is a whosoever will, let him come. Listen, I don't know what kind of diagnosis you have. I don't know what kind of report is in your life, in any arena of your life, but I could tell you what the report of the Lord says. God is saying, I, I have come to you. I will never leave you. I will never desert you. Notice he never says, I will not come to you, because he already came. And now that he's came, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never fail you. I'll never desert you or abandon you. Man, I'll never even get down on you for the mess you made. All he's going to do is tell you, forget about it and let's move on. That is not who you are. That is not what I have for you. So forget about that. L literally, let me wash that all off of you. The blood already eradicated and paid for it. Now let's go on. Come boldly to my throne of grace, God says. I love that. Bethlehem, the incarnation when Jesus was born, that was God coming to us. Palm Sunday is God coming to us. The rapture of the church, guess what? God coming to us. He comes and we meet, and then he calls us up to meet him. The second coming, guess what that is? It's God coming to us. The whole Bible is a story of God pursuing man. John 15, 16 says this. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I have ordained you. In other words, I've appointed you for this purpose, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. In the Greek language, it says, he shall give it you. John 3, 16, we sang it. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He sent his son to us. You gotta understand this. God loves you so much. He's come to you. And you haven't messed that up. You could take the test if you want to know the test to see if it's too late for you. All you got to do is get a mirror and just breathe on it. And if you fog it, it's not too late. If you're alive, it's not too late. And God will restore your life. He will redeem the time. How does he do it? I have no idea, but he does it. Man, he could turn He'll give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. He makes all things new. That's who he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Verse 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He did send his son that the world might be saved through him. Wow. I love 1 John 4, verse 19. You guys know this verse? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Yeah. God is good. See, salvation was not our idea. No one else could come up with the gospel. No gospel writer took credit because they didn't do that. Do it. They just recorded it. Acts begins with God sending the Holy Spirit to them, and then good comes. Wow. Palm Sunday is God coming to you. Be aware that he has come to you. He is in your life. You know in Revelation where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock? We all, we, sometimes we, we do that when we're having an altar call, but you know, no, that's for believers. He's standing at the door of your heart. He's knocking. He just wants you to invite him in to that circumstance. Invite him in to that situation that's going on in your body. And realize that it might not be possible with man, but all things are possible with God. See, the disciples... The disciples experienced Messiah coming to Jerusalem. The disciples prepared the way for him to come, right? They are part of it, but they are not doing it. They got the donkey. People came, but they're not doing it. They're just a part of it. See, today we come in his name, and we lift up his name, and then what does he do? He inhabits the praises of his people. Where two or more are gathered in his name, the Bible says he's there. Right? He's here right now. They got the donkey. They got the colt. The people were praising him. They were ushering him in. See, what is this talking? It gives us a picture. We must receive through faith what he's given us by his grace. Wow. See, the Jewish people, and, and, and this is such a picture of us today, the Jewish people were looking for a king to come and rescue them from Roman captivity. Or in other words, they, to rescue them from a, a temporary, to give them a temporary solution to their problem. Jesus was coming to them to bring a permanent solution to their problem. If you have anything going on in your life and there's pressure, you just want that pressure to stop. You just want this temporary, you just, God, you just gotta, you gotta get this out of my life. I, I just don't, it makes me feel very uncomfortable, right? Realize that God wants to bring a permanent solution to your life. He doesn't, see, he doesn't, he doesn't just come and unlock the prison and say, okay, okay, I'm setting you free. No, he comes into you and he makes you free so that now you have the authority in the name of Jesus. You have the power of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit. And now, whenever Satan comes to try to put a chain on you, you say no. Whenever he tries to incarcerate you again, you're like, no. I'm free. He brings sickness. You're like, no, thanks. Get that out of here. 
right? That's, that's the way we live. Very important that we see that. Hallelujah. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This word ransom means an atonement. He came to give his life an atonement. That word means to release from slavery and captivity because a payment is made. Jesus was made to be sin so that you could be made the very righteousness of Almighty God in him. Wow. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, at the second half of this verse, it says, for this purpose... The Son of God was manifested. He was shown forth that he might destroy. This, may, this literally means to undo and annihilate the works of the devil. So if the works of the devil are annihilated, don't let him lie to you and get you to receive something that, that God has already delivered you from. Wow. Wow. So that's why Jesus today, as he was before, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, listen, come to me. All you that labor, all of you who are toiling, toiling deals with mental stress, right? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This means all of you who are toiling and who are overburdened. Have you ever been overburdened with life? Because Satan will keep, he'll keep piling it on, right? What does Jesus say? Come to me and I'll give you rest. This literally means, this word rest means, I'll give you a quiet ceasing that will refresh you. Wow. Take my yoke, that's, that's a, my doctrine. Take my yoke or my doctrine upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. He's humble. For my yoke is easy. My yoke, my doctrine, my word is easy. This Greek word means gentle. His word is gentle and it's easy to use. Don't think these things are too complicated. They're not. They're not. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Realize that God loves you today. Psalm 145 says he's gracious. He's full of compassion. He's slow to anger, and he is of great mercy. Verse 9 goes on to say, he is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. His tender mercies are over you today. As you walk with him, you will begin to see his presence Sense his presence. Don't play church with him. He looks at, he knows your heart, right? If you're not serving him today, he might not be pleased with your behavior because he can't really do much in your life. But he's not, he's not mad at you. He just, he's a good father but he won't force things on you, but he'll woo you to get you to, to, to invite him into your life. So today, 
invite him into your life, right? 